Hey guys, thanks for tuning into Mass's World this week. Instead of asking you to rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast, I'm just going to ask you to share it with at least one friend. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Here's a message from our sponsors. Hey guys, welcome into this episode of Mass's World. I have a very special guest with us today. He is the author of the book Live to Forgive, and he is also the host of Sports Spectrum Podcast. His name is Jason Romano, and I'm so glad to have you on the show today, man. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Of course. The big reason I wanted to have you on um, is because I feel like my interests align and what my podcast is ultimately about. It aligns with you very well. I love sports. I'm a coach. Um, and then, obviously, my my world is my worldview and kind of the center of my world is around Christianity and what Jesus did for mm-hmm. us on the cross, man. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm, it's all aligned to what I believe, Ryan, and I'm glad to, you know, intersect that world, I guess, for you in the sports world. And certainly my faith in the Lord is central to what I'm about and who I am as well. So yeah, let's, let's, let's chat, man. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Well, let me just start by saying Jason like responded so fast (laughs) and it was, I was shocked. I just, on Twitter, I was just like, who would be an amazing guest? I was like, Oh, Jason Romano would be so cool. Yeah. Right. And I just, Went for it, and within five minutes, he had responded to me, and I was like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" So thank I you. I remember for that. that. No, uh, you're welcome. I pride myself on trying to respond quick, Ryan. So hopefully, uh, uh, it didn't shock you too much. But I definitely, anytime anybody reaches out, listen, who am I? Right, I'm nobody in the sense of, of, of the grand scheme of things. So if somebody takes the time to reach out to me, I'm always going to respond. I just that's just how I'm wired. So I'm yeah. glad you invited me. Well, I'd, I'd like to say I'd respond in the same way if I was in your position, but I don't know if I would. And just, man, that's, it's really cool. So, um, let's get started. I just want to, I want the listeners to know a little bit about you. Tell us a little about yourself, your, or your story, your family, where you're from, stuff like that. Yeah. So I am currently, uh, living in Bristol, Connecticut, literally 10 minutes from ESPN down the road. Uh, I've been living in Connecticut for 19 years. I'm married to my wife, Dawn. I got a daughter, Sarah, who just turned 15 and is in high school. Yeah, she's she's uh, she's an interesting woman right now. Young woman being a teenager and going into 10th grade and just parenting and dad life is a lot different than it was five to 10 years ago, but she's awesome and I love her to death and uh, she's doing great in school and playing softball and playing volleyball. So that's kind of my life, my, my most important part of my life, along with my walk with the Lord. Uh, I'm an elder in my church here in Connecticut, in Bristol Hillside Community Church. Uh, Growing up, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Ravina. It's about 10 miles south of the capital, Albany, New York. Uh, in in upstate New York there. And so growing up, uh, parents divorced when I was six. So grew up in a family that was separated and broken um, pretty much from when I can remember. Uh, have two brothers that are younger than myself. And um, so it was three boys growing up in a single parent home with my mom, mostly. Dad was around, but not there all the time. And we'll talk about him, I'm sure, in a, in a little bit with my book. But it was, you know, kind of an... It's funny, thinking back, it was a pretty normal childhood if you classify normal as being raised in a divorced family. But I got to do all the things I wanted to do. Uh, My mom was great. She worked a ton, worked three jobs just to support us and take care of us. Uh, My brother, 
My mom was a nurse and my brothers and I, you know, never really went without anything. Uh, we always we were able to play sports and dip decently enough in school. I was probably an 80 average. My brother, Chris, was the the smart one. He was a straight A. And then my little brother uh, was a little bit lower than 80. But we all got through and uh, we all love sports. Thing. Yeah, we all got through and, and had a good time growing up. We were at each other's throats like brothers always are. And then, um, you know, but my mom allowed us to have as normal a life as possible. And then my grandfather, who is a big influence on my life, I dedicated my book to my grandfather. He, you know, was sort of the father figure that was around and took care of us and took us places, drove us to practices, drove us to games, whatever it was, summertime. You know, we wanted to go up the street to, to play some basketball or hang out with friends. He'd always drive us. And so they allowed us to have a normal life in that sense, to pursue passions, to pursue our dreams, to go to college, to be whatever we wanted to be. And uh, for me, that was always involving sports. You know, at first it was a professional athlete, like every kid who's 10 to 12 years old desires to be. And then when I got to high school, I realized that that isn't going to happen. You know, I was a, <laughs> sure. I was a good athlete who had, a, you know, his moments, but I wasn't going to be pro, much less division one college, not even close to that. What'd you play? But I, loved, I played at a community college, you know, I played basketball at a community cool. college for a couple semesters and that was it. Yeah. But I loved broadcasting sports. I love sports. And I, I discovered in high school the idea of, okay, I can't play it, but I can talk about it for as long as I want. Right. And so I chose college and went to college. I went to a community college first for two years. And then I went to a four-year school, a state school in uh, about an hour south of where I grew up called SUNY New Paltz. And specifically chose those two schools because of broadcasting. Wow. And so I went there, got my degree, my associate's degree, my bachelor's degree, and then started my broadcasting journey a couple months after I graduated, uh, right back in the hometown outside of uh, Albany, and I worked at a, a local radio station there for three years. I was a producer. I did the afternoon talk show, screening calls, uh, booking guests, you know, creating bumper music and it was so much fun i was 23 and just so excited to be working professionally and being paid even though it wasn't a lot of money <laughs> being paid in local radio and uh, then worked my way to the morning show an executive producer and then espn came calling in 2000 and i took the job and moved my family my wife and i had just gotten married and we moved out here 19 years ago wow that's that's a really cool story um you did mention your dad and kind of how he was around but not um, fully engaged in your childhood without going into too much of of your book live to forgive tell us a little yeah. bit about that and how he impacted you and kind of how that has weighed heavy kind of just over your life yeah I mean so my dad who was there but not really there you know he struggled with alcohol from the time I can remember um, and became an alcoholic probably officially deemed an alcoholic, even though I'm sure it was years before when I was in high school. Um, I tell this a lot when I go to speak at conferences or schools or high schools or sports teams or, um, you know, even in colleges, I speak a lot in churches. I always tell people that my dad missed out on the pillar moments of my, of my life. Right. And the first was high school. Uh, that was his first time he was ever in a rehab facility. I'm trying to get sober. And, uh, that, forced him, gosh, many, many years now, almost 30 years to miss my high school graduation. And so he wasn't there. 
And I remember um, not being really upset about him not being there. I just, my dream, my goal, my hope for my dad, and this is the truth, was always just for him to get sober. You know, I didn't really need him in my life as I got older. I really just wanted him for him to get sober because I always thought if he got sober, it would take care of all the other issues that we have in our family. Uh, And he couldn't do it for many, many years. It wasn't until I was 40 years old until he was able to finally uh, get sober. And so there's a long stretch there of 20 plus years of going from high school all through college, you know, all that journey that I just explained to you, the local radio station job, ESPN, all of that was uh, allowed for me to achieve because of my mom, but kind of lingering in the background during all of this was a dad who was in my life, but not present. He was very absent and he was struggling with his alcohol and it created a, uh, a tension. It created a, a break in our relationship that, uh, affected me for many, many years. And I can go deeper if you want, but it was, it was through that, that, um, I learned, uh, a lot about myself. I learned about forgiveness. I learned about, uh, even coming to the faith in the Lord. Um, you know, I didn't realize this at the time, but I think a, a little bit of coming to faith in the Lord had to do with my dad battling his addiction. And there is a lot of layers to this story, but that's kind of the basic notion of what it was like to have him around, but not really present in my life. Sure. And I'm I'm sure, you know, in your book, you're going to expand on that a lot more. So if you want to hear deeper into that story by live to forgive Jason Romano, um, incredible story of forgiveness. Um, now my mom was an alcoholic as well. She's recovering alcoholic. Um, yeah. And she's been sober for 11 years. And I just, I, when you said this, it, I just shared the sentiment of, I just wanted them to get sober for them because I yeah. felt like if she was sober, everything else was going to fall into place. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, with my dad, it was one of those situations where, um, you know, his behavior was coming into my life and it was affecting me. And, you know, one thing I never had with my dad was empathy for many, many years. I didn't. I didn't care about what he was going through. I cared about him and I loved him, but I just wanted him to get sober because he needed to get better. I was, I I believe empathy is when you start to see things from the other person's point of view, right? Right. And for my dad, I never cared about his point of view. I would get very angry and, and, and lash out back at him when he would call me drunk or lash out at me, which is not healthy. It's actually very uh, unhealthy. And it clearly shows that I had not forgiven him when I was lashing back out at him, uh, just as he was to me. But it was always this underlying notion of just wanting him to get better. And that's really what it came down to is just, I I didn't even care if he was in my life anymore. Uh, at this point, you know, in my thirties and early forties, I had moved on from this hope of having a dad in my life. Right. Uh, I really just wanted him to get sober. You know, I had moved on. My life was going to be fine. Um, clearly it wasn't though, because there was some, under, like I said, some underlying bitterness that was residing in there. And certainly unforgiveness uh, was, was rampant in my soul with my father for many years. But the underlying notion of what he was going through 
came back to me as just simply wanting him to just get better, get sober. And I thought everything else would be fine. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that, that makes sense. Um, when you were watching your dad, like kind of battling this, was he actively trying to get sober or was he just saying, no, this is just who I am. Y'all are going to have to deal with it. Or how did that kind of go? No, he, he knew since I was in high school that he had an issue, he had a problem. Okay. And that's why he, I mean, he was in rehab center since I was in high school. So he, he wouldn't, I don't think a person would go to rehab. Well, it's pretty like humbling. Like it's a humility. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically admitting that you have an issue, you have a problem. But what I was going, where I was going was, you know, for many years, I think he went to rehabs knowing he had a problem, but I think he went not because he was trying to get better. He was trying, I think he went because he was trying to please other people because they thought it was the right thing to do. Um, there's a verse in the Bible in Romans, somewhere in Romans, where Paul talks about struggling with doing the very thing he know he sh- he knows he shouldn't Romans do. Romans 7, 18. For yes. I do the thing that I don't want to do. I have the desire yes. to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Bam. You, you nailed it, Ryan. And that's exactly how I saw my dad. When I first read that, it was probably like 15 years ago. Uh, I read it and I said, this is clearly my father. Hmm. This is 2003, 2002, 2003, when I'm reading this, 2004, around when my daughter was born. And I'm saying, that's my dad. This is a man who clearly knew what he shouldn't do. And listen, that's kind of all of us, right? I mean, that's why we need Christ. And that's why we need his grace and his mercy. But this was my dad to a T. He knew very well that drinking was not a good idea for himself and how it affected the rest of the family. The very thing that he knew he shouldn't do, he couldn't stop doing. Right. And that's, that sums him up. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know every bit of the Bible. That's actually one of my favorite verses. I just went through a recovery program, just, um, you know, at my, at my church. And that's one of the base foundational, um, verses because it's, it's, you're admitting like, this is how life goes. Like I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. I get to the fork in the road and I still choose the wrong way. And I think about it, you know, and well, that's the difference between, I believe a person who is walking with the Lord. I don't want to say saved because it's hard to know somebody's heart exactly. But I believe it's the difference between somebody who clearly wants a desire to live for the Lord and someone who doesn't, because the person who doesn't, is doing the very thing that they just don't care about. They're, right. You know, even if it's if if we all know it's wrong, they may think it's wrong, but they don't care. Yeah. Whereas somebody like myself, see, my dad, even though he wasn't a Christian, is not a Christian still to this day. He's not against Christianity. He's just not quite there yet. But my dad knew that drinking was wrong and that it would have a crushing effect on him and his family, and still did it because he couldn't stop. And it's addiction, but it's also sin. And sin, was it was hard for him to accept that that word was sin. He's like, no, it's an addiction. I said, I know, but it's also sin. And here is why. Look at Romans 6, and like you just said. And as I walk with the Lord, there's many days when I do the very thing I know I shouldn't do. But I also know, A, that I shouldn't do it. B, that I have a God who I go to and repent to and ask for forgiveness every day. And that's the difference, I think, in the believer who knows what's wrong, still does it, but can, but has like this conviction in them to come back to Jesus. 
whereas others just don't care. Yeah, no, and, you're spot um, on. That's that's a dangerous place to be, but no it's doubt. really where, where we are in the world. So, Well, um, the story ends well. Um, like I said, again, Live to Forgive by Jason Romano. Um, and we'll actually be giving a copy away to a listener. Um, you can hit me at Instagram, at um, MassWorld14, or on Twitter, at Mass uh, at Massed14. Anyways, I want to shift into another gear. Um and just kind of talk about ESPN, and I'm sure you get these questions a ton, but it was my dream and all my buddies' dreams when we were little. Hey, we're going to work yep. at ESPN one day, and okay. um, that's what we're going to do. So what was it like to work there? Give us a little bit of that. Well, I'll, I'll even back up for you, Ryan. It wasn't my dream to work at ESPN. Here's why I say that, because I didn't dream big enough. Wow. I watched ESPN all the time as a kid, just like you. I watched, you know, the big show with Dan and Keith and I watched Sunday NFL countdown with Chris Berman faithfully watching my Dallas Cowboy highlights every single Sunday night. But I didn't dream big enough. Wow. My dream was to work locally in Albany, get on the network or in the local news, maybe do the sports cast and be like the local sportscaster that I watched as a kid. That would have been a absolute dream come true for me. Wow. But I never dreamed to get to ESPN because I was like, that's too far away. In okay. many ways, it's like a baseball player, you know, thinking, okay, I'm in single A and I dream about baseball, but it's, it's so far away, it's hard for me to even comprehend it. That's kind of how I was Wow. Uh, for ESPN. I really didn't even think I could get there. So I didn't even dream about it, but I got there. Um, the opportunity came in, in 1998 to apply for a job there. Uh, I did not get the job the first time. Uh, I don't tell this story too often because uh, it takes a little longer, but I will just kind of give you the Cliff Notes version. That in 1998, I applied for a job six months out of college to work at ESPN full time. I got called to Bristol, Connecticut. I went through the interview process. It was an amazing opportunity. I was just happy to even be in the building interviewing for a job. Uh, I did not get it. I got a letter like three months later saying, thank you very much, but uh, we're sorry. We, we aren't, you know, you're not qualified for the job or whatever it was. I kept that letter. I still have it in the attic somewhere. Wow. And I remember showing because two years later, same job opens up. I go back, I interview and I get the job. And I brought that letter with me two years later to my bosses. And I said, do you guys remember this letter? And they looked at me and they go, that's not us. That comes from human resources. I said, well, it says your name on it and it says I was not qualified. So I'm so glad that I am qualified now. And they just started <laughs> laughing. And uh, it's a great story because I I got the job. And I remember when I found out I got the job, I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. But I also knew at that point, my wife and I had been married seven months. This was going to change the trajectory of our lives. It was. And it did, looking back now, because we had to move our little world of me and her from New York, our hometown, where we've lived, all we've known our whole life, away from our family, and come here to Connecticut. It's only two hours away, but you're still setting up shop in a brand new location. So we had to come to Connecticut and you know, basically build a new life here. It's been 19 years since we've lived here now, and uh, it was a big deal to move, but I'll tell you, that first day when I went in there, it was everything you would think about, Ryan, as a kid dreaming to work there. It was, I mean, honestly, I saw a little bit of that when I went through the interview process. But that first day when you know that you're an official employee of the Walt Disney Company, 
that owns ESPN and you're walking through the halls and the studios of the worldwide leader in sports and you see people like Dan Patrick and Dude. Chris Berman and Keith Olbermann and Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen and these legends in the business, Mike and Mike were on the air, you know, new in the show, but they're legends now, of course, as well. It was like walking into the biggest candy store as a kid, just with free, free, you know, amounts of candy at your disposal. That's <laughs> it really so was. cool. I imagine just like every, I, I don't see how much work gets done because you'd be walking by someone in the hallway and be like, you'd strike up a conversation about what's going on in sports. And I just don't, I couldn't continue to move forward. Every person I run into, I don't want to talk to you. Well, it took about a year for me to let the sort of star quality wear off. Okay. I, I never not, I, I never went to work and said, ah, this place stinks. Why am I even here? Like, I never went to work th- that way. I always felt blessed and really appreciative that I worked at a place like that. And I would walk by and still, you know, even though I became friends with these people and I would see, I don't know, Bob Lee will say, and I'd see Bob and I'd say, hey, Bob, how you doing? Hey, Jason, morning. And I would walk away after I see him and I'd be like, that was Bob Lee and he knows my name <laughs> and this is awesome. And so there were moments like that for sure. Uh, but I think as I went along, you know, it, you realize this is your job and you're paid to do what you're doing. So you can't get caught up in the fan part of what right. you do in to get in the way of the work that you do. You're there to do a job first. However, we worked in the toy department yeah. in essence of what we were doing. Uh, who, who said that? I think it was Bob or, or Dan Patrick or one of those guys used to talk about Chris Berman used to say, we get to work in the toy department, guys. This is what we do. Let's not take ourselves too seriously here. It's wow. sports. But at the same time, it was an appreciation that the majority of people I worked with on every level at every different department looked at ESPN and said, yeah, this is a large corporation, a very big business that makes a lot of money for a lot of people. But it is the toy department. Let's never forget that. Yeah. And we did. It was awesome. I loved working there. That's so cool. What What's like one thing about ESPN? Like maybe the campus or, or the, the cafeteria or, or whatever it may be. Because I always love those commercials where like they show Arnold Palmer getting the tea and the lemonade. Like what, yeah. what's just something cool that nobody really knows about the campus of ESPN or something like that that you got to do or take advantage of? So I- – I'll, I'll piggyback off of what you just said. The cafeteria that they shot the Arnold Palmer commercial and all the other commercials is our cafeteria. So that's not like a made up place that they just go to when they shoot those commercials. They're all done at the campus of ESPN that's at so the cool. offices of ESPN. Now, when they were, I'll give you a little inside on, on one of the commercials. So I, I made an appearance in one sports center commercial no and way. it was my last year, basically Second, uh, it was 2015. So it was like a year and a half before I left. And I remember had, having told many people who had been at ESPN a lot less longer than I have been there and had done a lot more in terms of commercials or going to the ESPYs or things like that. And I'm like, man, I've been here 16 years or 15 years and I never got to be in a commercial. And they're like, oh, maybe someday. And then, you know, he's not with the Mets anymore. But I'm a big Mets fan, but uh, Matt Harvey in 2015 was having a really good year. The Mets went to the world series that year. And so they brought Matt Harvey for a day, really a morning to ESPN to film a commercial. And so a buddy walks over to my cubicle and he says, Hey, Hey Romano, Matt Harvey's filming a commercial in the cafeteria. You want to be in it? And I said, well, what do you mean by 
be in it. And he said, well, you'd be an extra in the background and <laughs> you would just, I don't even know if you'll make the commercial, but you can go film it if you want. I said, what do I have to do? They said, you need 45 minutes and I need you to just sit in the background while Matt is eating this large thing of ice cream and just pretend like you're having lunch with, you know, in a fellow employee of ESPN. And I said, okay. And so they brought me to the, and I didn't bring me, but I went over to the cafeteria and having seen a couple of these films before they send when ESPN does these commercials. And I, I don't know if I've seen a ton of commercials done by them in the past year, just thinking out loud. So I hope they still do them because they're some of my favorite things, but the commercial with Matt Harvey, as did most of our commercials had about a staff of a hundred people that would come to film it. Almost like you're doing a movie. Oh my gosh. So you have all these behind the scenes people. You have makeup and you have like five camera people and shooting different angles. And, um, you know, even like the little, you know, ready for action. Okay, take one. I mean, it was one of those deals. And it's an outside company. You'd think ESPN would do it themselves because they're a media company, but they actually contract out to a marketing company that comes in and films these commercials. Oh my God. And so. Yeah. So I went in and I sat down and they said, you're over here. I shook hands with one of the people who were part of the commercial. I never even met Matt Harvey. That's the funny part about the whole story. <laughs> but I, I went behind where Matt was sitting with a couple of the other anchors and I just sat down and they said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're just going to eat or pretend to eat. So here's a plate of fries and a hamburger and just talk to the person in front of you. And I said, okay. And so for 45 minutes when it was you know, the takes were happening and the takes were not happening. I got to meet this person who I didn't know. It wasn't even a friend of mine. It was just a random dude <laughs> who sat down and we just kind of got to know each other. Where do you work? Well, I work in this department. I work here. How long have you been at ESPN? And we just got to know each other. It was pretty cool, actually, for 45 minutes. And then they're like, okay, you're all set. Thanks for being a part of this commercial. And about a month later, the commercial came out and I watched it and I said, oh, there I am. And you see the back of my head. You would never know it's me, but you see the back of my head in about five seconds of the commercial. And I was like, all right, you made I've it. been at ESPN for 15 years and I finally made it on a commercial. That's incredible. That's a great story. I love it, man. That's yeah, it really was cool. And I think you asked for a behind the scenes nugget. That's probably a good one. I mean, yeah. it's definitely, if you go on campus, we call it a campus. If you've ever been on a big college campus, Ryan, that's yeah. what it is. Okay. It's huge. It's huge. There's a big green area uh, where you, people can hang out. The cafeteria is gigantic. Is there intramurals uh, or are there intramurals? There are intramurals. There's intramural softball, which I played for many years. Um, there's intramural basketball, which I didn't get a chance to play because they, the games were in the daytime and I worked uh, during the daytime, so I couldn't get away. But there are intramural softball, intramural basketball. Um, they have tons of things for people to do. I used to play ball with a bunch of ESPN people at night for – about two years over at a, a local high school here, but it was just pickup. It wasn't organized intramurals, yeah. but it was like 20, 20 or so guys would go and it was a battle. I mean, these were guys, you could tell these guys all played in college. They were really good. And, uh, it was so much fun and I got an opportunity. This is probably when I was 39, 40 years old. So I'm getting up there in age a little bit, not able to hang with them as much as I used to. Sure. But the old man would hit a couple threes and, and kind of like rub it in the 25-year-old production <laughs> assistant's face a little bit and walk away. But we did. We, we, it wasn't just a climate and a place and an atmosphere to work. It was a culture. And most of the people there who work there love sports yeah. and played sports. So it was a blast. It really was. And they created so much of a dynamic. I mean, 
Disney owns ESPN. So we went to Disney World for free like eight years out of 10. I got to take my daughter down to Disney and oh, go that's to Disney. Incredible. So it's all of these perks and these, these you know, really neat opportunities that we got to have. And I always tell people it's about the culture. It builds a culture of just wanting to go to work every day to do the best job you can. And the standard of excellence is up here, right? Because you're working at ESPN. It's not like you're working at that local TV station that might be able to make a few more mistakes. You're at ESPN here. Yeah. And so you had to raise your game, just like if you were playing in the NBA yeah. compared to college. You have to raise your game. This is the highest level. And that's kind of how I felt. Dude, that that is really cool. I, I love hearing that stuff. And it sounds about like what I imagine, like, oh, you're working on sports. Hey, let's go. Let's go out back and play. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. That's times. that's so cool. But um, on May 10th, I did see you tweet something, um, which I thought was really, really cool. You said, dear me, 10, 10 years ago, and you were participating in the hashtag on Twitter. And you said, yes, um, it, dear me, 10 years ago. And your quote was ESPN isn't your God. What I just... I think that was incredible, and I know exactly what you meant by that, just idolizing something. Um, and you, like you probably think I idolize it just talking to me. But um, what did you mean by that, and kind of how has that shifted your focus from then to, to now? Yeah, I mean, my intention for tweeting that, because I was occasionally I'll just be on Twitter and I'll look at hashtags and I'll be like, okay, dear 10 years ago. Okay, so I want to even think about participating in this hashtag. Usually I don't. Um, I do like Twitter. I'm on there a lot and I like to interact with different people, but I don't usually partake in things like that too often. But that day I chose to, and I, I don't know why, but it made me think, cause what I, I, I had to start with, okay, what was I doing 10 years ago? Right. And so 10 years ago would have been 2009. Uh, I was in the prime of my time at ESPN. Probably I was a talent booker, talent producer, walking people around ESPN, spending time with tons of celebrities, going to Super Bowl. uh, Super Bowls to cover the teams and going to different parties and just interacting a lot with celebrities and athletes. And it was really a high point in my time at ESPN around 10 years ago, maybe nine, eight years ago to be exact, but it was basically 10 years ago. And so I thought about that and I thought, okay, where was my faith at that time? I was definitely a Christian. There's no doubt about that. I was heavily involved in my church, still am. But at that time, it was right before uh, an opportunity kind of happened where I got to walk around Tony Dungy at ESPN. And uh, Tony really changed my life in a lot of ways because he challenged me on how I live my life as a believer at work. In other words, everywhere I go. And I always tell people it was a changing turning point in my career because I began to do my job for the Lord and not for man, as Colossians 3 yeah. tells us to do, right? So before that, I still loved the Lord, and I still was walking with Jesus for sure. If you asked me at that time if I was a Christian, I would have said absolutely, and I believe I was. But ESPN was my number one priority at that time, mm. no doubt. Yeah. And so I wouldn't have said, if you asked me at that time, who's your God, I would have said, well the God, the creator of heavens and earth and his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for my sin. That's the, that's my God. But if I was being real with you or anybody else at that time, ESPN was my God. Wow. It was the center. It was my main focal point. It was the center of my life. I focused more on that than I probably did my marriage than I probably did with my daughter, uh, which 
pains me and, and saddens me to say in a lot of ways, but I'm just being truthful. Yeah. So I tweeted that out, you know, 10 years ago, Jason, you know, ESPN is not your God. That was my advice back to Jason 10 years ago. And, and that's kind of why I put it now a little inside story and I'm not going to share who it was, but I got a direct message pretty quickly after I tweeted that out from a prominent ESPN anchor who's still there today, who said to me, dude, seriously, you're a man of faith. You re- you really saw ESPN as your God and kind of just challenging me a little bit. And I liked that he did. And I responded. I said, yeah. I said, it's not that I looked at ESPN and said, okay, you are God and I worship you and you alone, ESPN. No, it's not that. But when I really think about it and I'm honest with myself, it was. It was my priority. It was, it was taking up all of my time. It was where my focus was. If I was hanging out with my wife and daughter and ESPN called, I was taking the call. It wasn't even a question. So to me, ESPN in a lot of ways have become my God. And, uh, you know, I told him, I said, listen, I said, I, I love, uh, I love God and I love Jesus. And I said, but I'm just being real on where my priorities were back then. I said, and I understand that we have a job to do. And, you know, when I was at work, I was at work, um, to do a great job. But I said, I had a very hard time turning it off. And I just meant turning work off, right? not TV or my phone or anything. And we have phones back then too. I just had a hard time turning it off. It came with me everywhere I went. Yeah. And so that's where the, the idea of being a God. And I'm glad that person challenged me a little bit just to question where we were. Uh, and I said, yeah, I said, I have no beef with ESPN. I have such a, a, a grateful heart that I was able to work there. I said, uh, I really didn't not enjoy my time there at all. Um, I, I loved it. It's open up more doors for me than I could ever have imagined. You know, I had such a great career there and enjoyed it very much. But, um, at that time it was my God and my priorities weren't in the right place. Yeah, man, that's really cool. Um, thank you for your, your authenticity in that. I I think that's really special and you're really self-aware. Absolutely. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, last question. And I know this is 33 minutes and we're this is, this is perfect, man. I'm, I feel so lucky to have you on, and I want to keep you on. We're good, but, man. We're, but we're good. You've jumped from ESPN to Sports Spectrum, and yeah. your tagline for Sports Spectrum is the intersection of faith and sports. Isn't that right? Is that right? Yes. Yep. Um, and I just want to know why you made that jump. I mean, obviously, I, I kind of have a an idea, but what what were the the intricacies of why you made that jump? Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense from a worldly perspective, right? right? If I had come to you, Ryan, three years ago and said, you know, in 2016, I was working on Mike and Mike in the morning three years ago at this time. In fact, we were at the NBA finals. We went to game three in Cleveland and saw Cleveland and Golden State. And it was one of my great highlights of working at ESPN was being able to go see Steph Curry and LeBron James in person. So if you come to me at that point and say, man, you must love your job. And I'd be like, I absolutely do. But I'm telling you right now in nine months or so, I'm not going to be working here anymore because I'm going to leave and go do something else. We're from the worldly perspective, even from just you and I knowing each other just a little bit as we do, you would have, you would have said I was crazy. Why would you leave a dream job like that. Why would you leave a job where you're working on a show like Mike and Mike and you get to have fun every day? And again, you get to play in the toy department every day. Yeah. It didn't make a lot of sense, but I knew what was stirring in my heart. And that's how I knew it was God. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because if it made sense to leave ESPN, because I was thinking about pursuing ministry from a worldly perspective, it might've been more of my pursuit or my desires and not God's. 
Uh, but it didn't make any sense. You know, I was making a really good salary at that point. Uh, I had been there for 17 years. I had invested a, a lot of time. I had 401ks and benefits and pensions and all these other things that were set up and ready to roll. And some of that stuff is still in place. But a lot of that was all there. Again, the Disney benefits, going to yeah. Disney World. That was the one thing my daughter did not like when I left <laughs> ESPN was that I no longer worked for Walt Disney Company. Right. But all those things are great perks and benefits and very and and can lead to a very comfortable life. So why leave that? But really when I look back now and it's been two and a half years, well, a little over two years since I left, I realize it was it, it had to happen because it was the will of the Lord. And I was submitting myself to God's will. And I could clearly point back to a time in 2015 when I thought for the first time I think God's going to call me away from ESPN sometime soon. Wow. I just thought it. Um, I had spent some time with some people in the faith space and I really loved what they were doing. And it just made me think about what I was doing, which is playing in the toy department and understanding that God has given me these opportunities, these gifts. He's blessed me with all these experiences. What am I truly doing for him? Now, does that mean I can't be a light for him at work at ESPN? No, of course not. Um, I, I heard from many people after I left that they were influenced by the way I lived my life, that I wasn't ashamed of my faith. And that was a really nice thing to hear. But I just felt like God wanted me to do more for him. That's it. And I, and I didn't know what that meant. I just felt like that in my spirit. He wanted me to do more for him. This is the summer of 2015. I left in February of 2017. So you can see this was about a year and a half process from the time I really first felt that inkling to leave until I left because of a couple factors. Number one, um, I don't think it's wise to just leave something when you feel like you're being called without knowing where you're going to. I'm going to quit ESPN and then we'll figure the rest out. That's right. not wise. Yeah, that's Especially not with, it's not prudent. And I'm, I'm married with a daughter. Like, I got to think about these things. I can't just out and out leave. So I spent 2016 having a blast working on Mike and Mike, but also being intentional about building a ton of relationships with different people in the faith space, as well as authors and writers and different people who I just wanted to learn from. This was also the time when I was first thinking about writing my book as well. So lots of stuff's going on inside this brain of mine, Ryan. And so the book is starting to come together a little bit. The idea of leaving ESPN is sort of starting to happen. And both kind of happened at the same time. It was August of 2016 when I signed a deal for my book to write Live to Forgive. And then it was October of 2016 when I got a call from Sports Spectrum saying, hey, we have this new Sports Spectrum platform that we've acquired. They've been around forever but we want to revamp it. We want to start a podcast and launch a podcast. We want to get our website back up and running and doing well. We would love to have you consider being that guy to, to do that. It was clearly to me an answer from a prayer from God, but then they told me the, the sort of stipulations with the financial aspect of it. And it was a 40% pay cut. Wow. Did not have any benefits. It did not have any 401k. It was a contract position. And so I had to sit down and seriously think about this and pray about this and then talk to my wife about this. And the wife wasn't too happy about that <laughs> for obvious reasons. But as I prayed about it, I really sensed God saying, no, trust me on this. 
let me tell you something, Ryan. I've never heard an audible voice from God in my life. I've never heard him say this, do this, do this. I've never heard that. I just kind of sense what's in my spirit, the right. Holy Spirit speaking into my my heart. And I sense that God was saying, just trust me on this. This mm. is the door. I got you. Mm. And I said, okay, all right, let's, let's figure this out. And so I had to pray with my wife and, and talk to her about this. And we had to sit down and lay out all of our finances and figure out if we lost 40% of my check, are we going to still be okay? And uh, we were, we were going to be okay. And I said, and I just said to my wife, I said, trust me on this. In two years, we're going to look back and I'm, we're going to say, God took care of it. I promise you that. I said, don't trust me that I'm going to be able to fix this. I said, trust me that God's got this in control and he's going to figure it out and we'll be fine. And now I can tell you two years later, looking back, he's completely blessed this ministry that I've been a part of, not just with Sports Spectrum, where I'm now officially in a full-time employee with them, which is great and, and have all the sides benefits and all that. But the idea of writing a book, the ministry that that kind of opened up doors to speak and to share, uh, God has took it and went to a place that I just could not have imagined. And I'm really grateful for that. Man, that that's just incredible. I I could listen to you talk all day. I think, I think uh, your your priorities are right, and I just I love um, how you. Let's just trust it. I feel it. I feel the Holy Spirit conviction, and let's just make it happen. Listen, uh, it's it's easier said than done in a lot of ways. Now that I can look back, but I always tell people you never know the plan God has for you until you look back, because when you're in the midst of it, you're really kind of figuring this out, and you know that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. That's a straight path in God's eyes, but for us, it's a lot of bobbing and weaving and going through traffic like you're playing a game of Frogger. You yeah. know, it's oh, yeah, that's difficult. Good. It's difficult. And you know, I can look back at you now two years later and tell you God had it in control but I'd be lying to you if I thought it was just something that was easy and we just made the move and I completely knew God had it handled. No, man. I mean, I'm human. There was, there was a lot of fear and a lot of, um, uncertainty in a lot of ways. You know, I, I didn't know if I was going to have to move because sports Spectrum's based in Denver, Colorado. Wow. And I'm here in Connecticut and my wife didn't want to move. And my daughter wants to stay at the school she's been in for the last six, seven years. So all of that had to come into play to allow me to still be able to work for sports spectrum. And yeah. again, God, God took he did. Yeah. He really did. That's so good, man. Well, Jason, I just want to thank you for coming on the show, man. I'm I'm so appreciative. I can't wait to be able to share this uh, episode with with others. Um, where can people find you um, on your social media? Yeah, I mean it's pretty easy if you search my name. Uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm active there quite a bit at Jason Romano, and the same with Instagram and uh, and Facebook as well. And then uh, my website is another place. Just my name, jasonromano.com, and you can order my book there. You can actually get a free chapter, the first chapter of my book for free on the website, um, or just DM me, and I'll send you the link to, to read the first chapter for free. And uh, and then any kind of speaking and things like conferences or churches or schools, if anybody's listening and is interested in that, um, you can get me through the website as well. That's, so Yeah, that's amazing. But, and then I want to plug your podcast. Um, yeah, because it's so incredible. It's, sports Spectrum Podcast brings on athletes um, where sports and faith intersect, and uh, you'd be surprised at how deep these athletes will go. And it's it's incredible. 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of my great joys and blessings to be able to do what I always dreamed of doing when I was a kid, which was interviewing athletes. And now I get to do it for a greater purpose and ask them about their faith in, in Jesus. And it's an amazing opportunity and I'm really, truly grateful for it. And now it's a daily show. I mean, there's a new podcast every day. Yeah. So that's a new thing for us that we've been doing for a little less than a year now where it's in essence become a daily show. And before that it was a once a week show. Um, you know, then we went to two a week, tried three a week. And I said to my bosses, Hey, let's, let's go for five and let's just make it a daily show. And, uh, we'll do a throwback edition on Thursdays and we'll, we'll try this as a daily thing. And I love it. And the rhythms of it has been awesome. We've had more guests than I could have ever imagined the different people that we get to talk to. I'm looking up at my calendar right now of people that are going to be coming up on the show. And it's just, it's just a, such a cool opportunity. And I really love what I get to do right now. I'm so grateful. What's well, special, man. And, um, Jason is going to give away a free book, um, to one of my listeners, um, just at Massed 14 on Twitter or at MassWorld14 on Instagram, uh, direct message me and we can make that happen. I'll do a little drawing, but, um, Jason, again, I appreciate your time. I'll include all your social media in the show notes and thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. All right. See you, man. See you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Masses World. Again, instead of rating, subscribing, and reviewing this podcast, I ask that you share it with one person that might like to hear it. Thanks again for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you next time.